how's everybody? Y'all doing okay? Yeah, how about the rain? Yeah. Man, I know. We've been praying a long time for that rain. I'm thankful for it. Man, it is good to be with y'all this morning. Um, if you weren't here with us last week, I, uh, I made an announcement, a very important announcement for the life of our church. So if you're new with us, you may not know what we're talking about. That's okay. There's going to be time for you to know. Uh, but for those of you who have been tracking with us over the last five years and then also just in the last couple of years, we've, we've uh, had an opportunity to purchase some land or really it's, it's a land swap, but uh, ultimately, we, have, we own some land on MLK Jr. and 121. You might see the big sign there. We, we now, we own that land. We've been praying about what God wants us to do. We believe that God is asking us to take the next step of faith. Um, and so we are taking that next step, really excited about that. We believe that God is leading us to build a new facility on the hilltop property. And so we're excited about that. And there are a series of meetings that are coming up that I want you to know about. And I want everybody in the room to have an opportunity to hear the vision, see what we believe that the building could look like. And all of those things are some important dates for you that are coming up. The first one is this Wednesday, September 20th at 6.30 p.m. in this room. So you may take note of that. 6.30 p.m. this Wednesday in this room. I'm gonna be sharing the vision for that. Um, the second meeting will be next Sunday, September 24th at 10.30 a.m. That's during our Sunday school hour. So uh, I would love for you to join me on, at the Sunday school hour right after the service in this room again. Uh, the third meeting that we're gonna have is gonna be October 1st at 5.30 p.m. Uh, that's a Sunday night. It'll be at 5.30 p.m. again in this room where I'll get to share a vision and, and again, what the building could look like. Uh, students, just so you know, I'm coming to you on October 1st during the Sunday school hour and I wanna share with you how our youth, our middle school and high school students can get and be a part of this as well. Again, it's super exciting. We're really looking forward to all that God has got in store for us. You need to know that October 15th, that Sunday morning, will be the public launch of the campaign. So we're really excited. The Lord's doing some great things in our church. Um, you know, and so we're, we're moving ahead excited about that. So um, if you're in a Sunday school group, if you're in a small group, I want you to come to one of those meetings. You pick one, you guys come together as a group. If you don't have a group, that's no big deal. We want you to be at one of those as well. So please make sure you make those meetings a priority because again, you're gonna wanna hear what we're doing and where we're going and all of those things, okay? So let's switch gears. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay. Have I ever told you about how a stork radically changed my life forever? It's true, a stork changed my life forever. I was three years old. I was just three, y'all. Three years old, my mom and my dad came in the room and said, hey buddy, we got good news for you. You're gonna be a big brother. And I thought, man, this is great. It's gonna be awesome. I'll have somebody that I can beat up on and you know, convinced to get in trouble and all of those things. But I had a question for mom and dad, I said, well, how did this happen? <laughs> How did this happen? And you know what they said? They said a stork. <laughs> and and I, I'll kid you not, there was a day I came home and there was a stork in my front yard. <laughs> it was dressed, had, had a blue, baby blue sash on it and said, welcome home. Walked in the door and there it was the thing that changed my life forever. 
What a mystery, profound mystery in my life. Um, You know, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, is writing about a mystery, a profound mystery that's changed his life forever. In fact, I don't think Paul ever quite got over the mystery of which he is writing. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there to Ephesians. We're going to kind of unpack the whole book, but we're going to dive in and Uh, But I want you to see there's this particular mystery that Paul is speaking of in the book of Ephesians. And here's the mystery, okay? I want to be very clear about this. This is very important. The mystery that Paul cannot get over in the book of Ephesians is this. It's the fact that God is the friend of sinners. Think about that. Chew on that this morning. God, the perfect God in the universe creator, sustainer of everything, who's perfectly holy, set apart from sinful humanity, is the friend of sinners. In fact, for Paul, Paul would say that he is the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, and yet even then, Paul says, yet he has befriended me because of what God has done in Christ. He has made a way for us, sinful humanity, you and me, look right out here at me, for sinful humanity, if nobody has ever told you that you're a sinner, you need to hear that this morning, because if you don't understand that, then you're not going to understand what we're going to talk about this morning, that you were utterly and totally broken, spiritually, you were dead and set apart from God. In fact, we're going to talk about here in a minute that you were an enemy of God, and yet in Christ, he has made a way for you to be the friend of the God of the universe. This is, this is a mystery that Paul cannot get over. And I'll tell you this morning, it's something that you and I should never be able to get over either. For God to be the priority of our lives, that's what we've been talking about. If God's gonna be the priority of my life, then I, I need to understand who I am and I need to understand who he is and I need to understand the distance that he has come in order to bring me to him. By the way, I could never get to him. There's not amount of works. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of cars. There's no amount of good looks. There's no class. There's nothing that you can do to ever earn your way to God. That's why he had to send Jesus to, to us to bring us to him. He has made a way for us to be friends with him. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians two, verse one, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. Notice this, among whom we all once, that's past tense, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. Here, he tells the Ephesians that at one time they were dead in their sins. To be dead means to be dead. It means to be spiritually dead. It means to be apart from God. He would go on to say that that by nature, we are children of wrath. We are cut off. We are separated from him. That means that we at one time were God's enemies. Don't move past that. Don't move past it. Don't move past the truth that at one time you in this room and maybe even today are still are, at one time you were an enemy of the king 
of the universe. But Paul says in Ephesians 2, he continues, he says, but God, some of the best words in all of the Bible in verse 2, but God, God intervenes, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Hear this, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even when we were dead, when we had nothing to offer, we were helpless and hopeless, even when we were dead, notice this, who does the action? God does. God makes us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Previously in chapter one, Paul refers to this transition as being adopted. He says, at one time, not only were you a child of wrath, not only were you an enemy of, the, uh, of God, but, but you were orphaned. You were spiritually an orphan. And he says, no, no, I saw you. I set my love on you and I have adopted you into my family. You were once orphaned, but now you are mine. You've been given a seat at the table of my kingdom. You are a part of my household. In fact, if you were to keep reading again in chapter four, verse 19, here's what Paul says. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And hear this, members of the household of God. Wow, for nothing that you have done, God intervened in your life while you were his enemy at your worst, not at your best, not wearing your Sunday best, not while you were at Sunday school, not while you were a faithful church attender, at your absolute worst, God intervened in your life and he said, that one over there in the corner who's the orphan who doesn't have a family, who's spiritually dead. He looked in the corner and he saw you and he adopted you into his family and he said, hey, this is my son, this is my daughter and whom I'm well pleased. Paul can't get over that. That is a mystery that Paul cannot get over. And hear me, it's a mystery that you and I shouldn't be able to get over either. We just sang it, I'm amazed that he would love me. Listen, I don't know about you, but I know what's in here. I know what's up here. And I know that apart from God's grace, I would be a monster. And yet it's God who intervened into my life, who is transforming my life every single day. Second Corinthians three eighteen. that when we behold the glory of God, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next as I worship him as I make him the priority of my life, he promises to transform me from the inside and out. And I tell you, we should never get over that truth. We are members of the household of God. In Ephesians chapter three, verse six, Paul says, here's the mystery. He defines the mystery. He reveals the mystery. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the idea that God, that the God of the universe, perfect in every single way, gave himself in the person of Jesus to reconcile not only Jews, but also Gentiles as well. If you're familiar with the storyline of the Bible, then you would understand that for most of us, if not all of us in the room, we are those Gentiles. Praise be to God that this is here. 
that this didn't somehow get skipped over, that it wasn't just for the Jews, but it's for us in this room, that while we were at our worst, while we were an enemy, while we were children of wrath, God intervened, adopted us into his family and said, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well Please Let us not ever get over that. Wow, man. Now, here's what's crazy. And, and hear me because I don't know that we can truly understand this on this side of the cross. But, but think about the context of which Paul's writing. Paul grew up as a Jew. He was trained under, under Gamaliel, who's like the guy. He's the religious Jewish teacher. If you wanted to study under somebody, it's like going to Harvard for Jews, right? I mean, this is the, this is the guy. Studied under him. Paul even himself would say, if there's anybody who could boast, it's me. I know the Old Testament law. I got it figured out. I've given my life to study this God. And yet even then, even then, there's a barrier between Paul and God. No matter how much Paul studied, no matter how much good things he did, no matter how many people he killed in order to advance his own agenda or what he believed to be God's agenda, none of that mattered because there was still a barrier between him and God. And now Paul is learning that through the grace of Jesus, that now that barrier that once existed between him and God has been destroyed completely on the cross. Jesus is killed on that cross and in that moment the barrier is completely removed. No longer does there exist this barrier between him and God and now Paul has unfettered access to God. Wow. Listen, you have unfettered access to the God of the universe. The truth that God is the friend of sinners is available to you and to me in Christ and that because of what Christ has done, you and I even this morning, standing here in 2023, 2,000 years later, can stand in the truth that we have unfettered access to God. The writer of Hebrews would say this in chapter four, verse 16. He says, if that's true and it is, he says, then let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we have unfettered access to the Lord, that we are no longer a third will to the friendship of God and man. We have complete and total access to him. So the writer of Hebrews says, well, if that's the case and it is, then then, man, we should draw near to him with boldness and expectation, knowing that he sees us, he knows us, he loves us, and he desires to meet us where we are. And there's nothing that we have going on in the world that he doesn't actively and intimately know about. There's nothing that you can hide from the God of the universe. And yet he simply longs for you and for me to crawl up into his lap and say, Dad, here's my wins, here's my losses, and to begin a friendship with him. And understand a friendship and a relationship are two different things, right? Like I can be in marriage with Jordan because on June 9th of 2012, we stood before God and everybody and said, I do. That makes us covenanted in marriage. But hear me, while we are married, We can live as roommates where we don't communicate and we don't engage one another. 
I'm not talking about a relationship with him. I'm talking about fellowship with him. You and I can have a relationship with Jesus because of what, a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. But in addition to that, we can have fellowship with him. We can enjoy a friendship with him. How amazing is that? I love what Paul would say in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. He says, this is the hope then. If, if we can have friendship with God, this is my hope for you. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may, be, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And hear this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen, this is Paul's hope for you. That because of the profound mystery now revealed in Christ, God has made a way back to friendship with him that they would experience the fullness of that friendship. Here it is. Here's the fullness of that experience, of that friendship, that you would be strengthened through power in, his, in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you'd be rooted and you'd be grounded in love, that you would have strength to comprehend the love of Christ, that you would know him and that you would enjoy him and that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Like this is Paul's hope for us. It's not that we would just say, check the box and be done with it. Paul says there's so much more. There's so much more than an hour on Sunday or two hours on Sunday or a, a quiet time once a week. He says he is inviting you into friendship where you can experience the divine blessings of a relationship, a friendship with the God of the universe, that you'd be strengthened, that you would know the height, the width, the depth, the length of his love, that you would, uh, you would know the depths of his grace, that you, that you would experience the fullness of life with God. He says that you would know the love of Christ. I love that word, that, that word know is intimate language, that you would know him and that you would enjoy him and that you would experience Experience the divine nature and love of the God of the universe that he has expressed to you in the person and the work of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but man, that sounds great. Like it sounds great, right? To experience true friendship with the Lord. But here's what, here's what we all know. What is the key to a successful relationship? Anybody, anybody know? What's the key? I asked the theologian Google this week. I said, Google, what's the key to a successful friendship? And I looked through all of the things. And here's what's funny, both religious and non-religious alike. Here's what I noticed. The top of everybody's list, communication. To have a healthy, whole, and vibrant relationship, what you and I need is to be able to communicate. How can I live in friendship with somebody that I don't communicate with? So the, the hope 
of us, of our time together this morning as I've been praying is, Lord, help us to be people who make God the priority of our lives and we do so as we grow in our ability to communicate with him. If our relationship with him, if we're gonna enjoy the fullness of friendship with him, then we've gotta learn to communicate with him. And so I've got seven things that I wanna share with you this morning. Seven things. We're gonna get super practical here, okay? There's nothing so powerful about these seven things. Seven is God's number, it's my favorite number, so I just stopped there. Um, But I got seven things that I want you to consider as we grow in our ability to communicate with God, okay? Here's the first one. This is so profound, y'all ready? This is the secret sauce of it all. You ready? No, you ready? Okay, okay, here it is. First one, just do it. Wow, I know it was profound. I told you it was profound. Just do it, right? Because friendship with, without communication is no friendship at all. Just do it. That is why Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 6, 5, he says, and when you pray, he's giving them instructions, right? He says, hey, this is how you pray. But before he even does that, he says, hey, when you pray, did you know that there's an expectation that you communicate with your wife? Did you know that there's a expectation that you would communicate with your husband and your kids and your coworkers and your bosses? You communicate with everybody in your life. And yet when it comes to God, we don't know what to do. Just do it. You know, Nike in the 1990s came out with this great slogan. Remember that? Just do it. It was this idea that greatness is attained when we just move through the obstacles and we just do it. Right? If you want to experience friendship with God, just do it. Just do it. That's number one. Number two, we calendar him into our day as if our life depended on it because it does. If you want to have friendship with God, then you're going to have to put him in your calendar. You put everything else in your calendar. Why in the world will we not calendar time with the Lord? If we don't make him the priority, we will make something else the priority. We have to calendar him into our schedules. I imagine that most of us in the room calendar our meetings with friends, coworkers, bosses, kids. We got ball games, all kinds of stuff. If you looked at my calendar, it'd probably overwhelm you. There's a lot of stuff on that thing. But at the top of my calendar is my time with the Lord. And I know that if I miss that, if I miss my time in the morning, I'm not gonna make it up. I have to make him the priority in my calendar. And here's what I do. And listen, you know, you can take what I'm about to say and you can make it some legalistic nonsense, but I'm just telling you, if you, if you wanna make him your priority, then you make him your priority. And here's what I do. If I miss that time, I understand that I'm missing out on the benefits of the Lord that day. Just like any meeting, right? If I miss my meeting with my boss, there's consequences. If I, miss the, if, I, if I miss a meeting with a friend, it's gonna hurt the friendship. So in my mind, I calendar him in just like I do any other meeting, that there's consequences if I don't meet that meeting. I wanna prioritize that meeting just like I prioritize every single meeting, right? And so if I don't miss that meeting, I know. I know that my day is not gonna be as good as if it were if I met with him. Just like if I miss the time when I go run. 
If I miss, if I miss my time to run, that day is gonna be harder than it would have been if I just would have ran. Listen, I'm telling you, when you sit down and you make God the priority of your day, you make him your priority and you're communicating with him, I'm just telling you, your day is gonna be better. It's gonna be better. So we calendar him into our day as if our life depended on it because it does. I'll get to the grace at the end, so just bear with me. Number three, we pray about everything. And hear me, this is important. Nothing is out of bounds with the Lord. We pray about everything, everything. Highs, lows, and everything in between. We pray about everything and nothing is out of bounds in my friendship with the Lord. He knows it all anyway. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, and yet he is still there. My friends may walk out on me, but God never does. He is the friend who's always there, who knows everything, and so we pray about everything. I love the examples in the Bible that we have. We have all kinds of examples of prayer. In the wilderness, Moses prays to God to preserve his character and his name, as well as for those uh, that, he's, that he's leading, that God, would, that God would transform their heart. Abraham prays for the redemption of wicked people in Sodom and Gomorrah, while also praying for protection over his friends and relatives. David prays in order to confess sin and ask God for pardon from his guilt. He prays that God would be near, him, near to him, relieve him of his enemies. He'd put an end to wickedness all around him. David prays that God's will will be done. This, he prays for success for his successor, which, by the way, is his son, Solomon. Hezekiah prays that God would help him lead Israel. And then toward the end of his life, he even prays that God would help him prepare for death. Wow, praying for everything. Nehemiah prays over the success of his work. He prays for the unity of God's people and even for wisdom and protection in hard times. When overwhelmed in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays for a prayer of submission and God's will over his life. Paul regularly prays for his friends and his brothers while also praying for his continual transformation and protection as well. I mean, the Bible is littered with examples of people that pray about everything in their life. So pray about everything, understanding nothing is out of bounds. Like any good father, God wants to be a part of your life. Invite him in, make him the priority in your prayer life. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, he says, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. He would go on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and say, pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing is to always be in the mind of prayer, right? It's just to walk alongside of the Lord. I think about Enoch. Enoch was labeled as a man who walked with the Lord. He always lived with the Lord before him. He was mindful of the Lord and mindful of what the Lord was doing around him. To pray without ceasing just means that you're in the mind of prayer all day long. That doesn't mean that you're unengaged where you are. It just simply know, you just simply know and recognize the fact that God is with you, he's for you, and he wants to hear from you, right? Number four, create a strategy. When all else fails, create a strategy. Listen, I, there's nothing special about what I do, but I've got this really cool thing and it's really helped me, so I hope it might help you. I've got a five by seven note card and I've created this prayer card that I sit down and pray through every single morning. And I'll tell you, it's just been a huge blessing to me. It may not work for you, but it's worked for me. And here's what I do on that prayer card. On Mondays, I'm praying for my family. And I've listed it out. Here's all the family that I'm praying for. On Tuesday, I'm praying for my friends. I'm praying for those who are closest to me. I'm praying for my circle. I'm praying for their marriages. I'm praying for their kids. I'm praying for all, I'm, I'm praying for the people that are close in my life. On Wednesday, I'm praying for the church. I'm praying for church leadership. 
I'm praying for you. I'm praying for initiatives. I'm praying for all of the stuff that's coming up. On Thursdays, I'm praying for my mentors. For whatever reason, I have been so blessed to have people who have invested in me, who love me and want to see me be successful. And they've invested a ton in me. And so I pray for them and I pray for their families. And I thank the Lord for them that, that I don't have to do this by myself, right? On Friday, I'm praying for our community. I'm praying for Belton ISD. I'm praying for Temple ISD. I'm praying for our city officials. I'm praying for Mary Hart and Baylor. I'm praying for all of these people in our community. I'm praying that the Lord would do something special in and through those people as they lead. I'm praying for all the leaders. I'm praying for our, uh, you know, reach into the community. I wanna be a church where, where we're constantly pouring into our community and reaching our community, right? And then on Saturday, I'm praying for our global reach. I'm praying for our mission partners. I'm praying for all those people that we're seeking uh, to help support. I'm praying for the world that they would come to know Jesus. That's just what I do. And then Sunday mornings, I'm praying for this gathering. I'm asking the Lord to do big things and to show up. And and I'm asking him to do special things for our time together. And so that sets my day off right. And then you know what? My days are hard. Some days are hard. Some days are easy. Some days are light, some days are heavy. And so, man, I just constantly thanking the Lord, man. I'm going to a meeting, I'm thanking the Lord. Lord, thank you for this meeting. Thank you for the opportunity I get to speak into this person's life. Thank you that they're speaking into my life. Thank you for this, this moment. In difficult meetings, I'm like, Lord, get me out of this, right? But then I step into it knowing that he's got my back, right? Praying for highs and lows and everything in between. And I'm just talking to him and I just want you to talk to him, just communicate it with him, just like anybody else. Right, so that's point number four, create a strategy. Five, get rid of distractions. We talked about this at length a couple weeks ago. We've got to silence the noise. If you're going to have friendship with the Lord, then you're going to have to silence the things around you in order to grow in friendship with him. Right, how many of you have sat at the table um, with a friend and your phone is constantly going off and you're constantly doing this? Y'all know that friend? Yep, we know that friend. If you're that friend, Stop. Stop, it's annoying, right? Think about your time with the Lord if you're constantly looking at the thing that's buzzing. You know, my goodness. Be present. Be present with him. Get rid of the distractions. Even Jesus, Luke chapter 15, verses 15 through six, right? Great crowds are starting to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus is becoming famous, so to speak. By the way, if you've ever experienced any level of fame, it only gets harder and more distracting. Jesus is experiencing this. And yet the text says that he gets away from the crowds. He gets away from his friends, even his inner circle, all to be with the Lord. I've always said this, that if it was good enough for Jesus, certainly it should be good enough for me, right? It should be good enough for us. If Jesus has to get away, then my goodness, certainly we need to get away as well. Get rid of the distractions. Number six, this is great. When you feel lost in prayer and you just don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, Use scripture as a roadmap. This is so helpful. If you're lost for words, open up the Psalms and pray along with David. Sure, David was king, but he was also a peasant shepherd. David was a dad. He was a husband. Had real problems just like you and I. And if you read through the Psalms, one of the things that I love about the Psalms speaks to the credibility of the Bible is that they are messy, right? If you read through the Psalms, man, they are messy, filled with messes and failures and successes and all of those things, everything in between. If you don't know where to go, man, pick up the Psalms. Psalm 23 reminds you of the love and the grace of God. Psalm 139 reminds you of who you are. 
right? You need to know if you, just golly, I don't, I don't even know who I am anymore. All this stuff's going on. Man, I just need to know who I am. Go to Psalm 139, right? Psalm chapter one, you're bat- battling sin. Man, go there. Pray that prayer. Walk through Psalm chapter one. It's great wisdom, but it's also something to pray for. Lord, help me to, to not sit around those who are, are doing evil. And you pray through the Psalms. I'll tell you, they'll transform your life. If you don't know where to go, use scripture as a roadmap. And finally, number seven, look right at me because this is important. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, I think so often well-meaning, well-intended people go, man, I haven't spent any time with the Lord and I don't even know how long. He's not gonna accept me back. Listen, that is a word from the enemy. There's never a time that God is not anxiously awaiting his son and his daughter to come home. And so, gosh, maybe you're like, well, I mean, where do I even start? I mean, I've gone years, man. Logan, I've gone decades without ever really making God the priority. Well, I know of no better time than today. Right? I mean, that's the beauty of what Paul is saying, that God is friends with sinners, broken people, and do not think that God doesn't know everything in your world, and yet it's his grace to say, hey, come on. Come on. I'm waiting for you. Here I am. I hadn't gone anywhere. You're the one who walked away, not me. I'm here. I'm waiting on you. Come on. I'm ready to, I, I'm ready to get in that Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 kind of yoke. I'm ready to take on your burden. I'm ready to give you rest. I'm ready for all those things. But you know what? You're not going to find rest until you make that choice to run to him. You won't find it. You won't find it. He's the good shepherd who's calling his sheep home to, hey, come find rest in me. Come enjoy me. I got your back. I'm with you. Right? And so while I said in the first one, just do it. Right? Then I said, hey, look. You know, you're gonna miss out on the blessings of God if you don't pursue him and make him the priority of your life. And that is true. But I tell you, his mercies are new every morning. Every morning you have a new shot. By the way, every moment you have a new opportunity to make Christ the priority of your life. And I pray that you do. I pray you do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. God, I thank you. I thank you as Paul thanked you for the truth that, Lord, my goodness, you are friend of sinners. And Lord, I know me and I know my heart and I'm so thankful, God, that you came to me. Lord, your word says that I love because you love me first. And Lord, I believe that with all my heart, Lord, that you approached me and it's because, your approach of, because you approached me and you've called me your own, Lord, that God, what a mystery. What a profound mystery, Lord. Help us to never get over that. I pray, Lord, today that you would open up our heart and open up our mind to receive you, to pursue you, to recognize the grace that, Lord, while it may have been years, decades, or days, maybe hours, maybe feeling lost, maybe it's just like, man, I don't even know where to go. I don't know where to turn. Oh, man. God's hand of grace is available. So, Lord, help us to reach out and take your hand to find that Matthew eleven twenty eight kind of rest that only you can provide in a friendship with the God of the universe. That we may be strengthened with power in our inner being, 
that we may know the love of Christ, the length, the width, the height, the depth, that we may experience his grace in a real and tangible way. And may we be filled with the fullness of God as we pursue you in friendship, as we enjoy the fellowship that we have with you that we can only know on this side of Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.